If you would, take your Bible and open to Galatians chapter 2. As you open to Galatians chapter 2, I'm going to pull my sermon illustration over here. All right. When you do construction, it's always good to have your orange cone uh, out, in, uh, out in front. Many of you live and die by the orange cone going out in front. As I was uh, trying to set this up beforehand, I watched this uh, T-Post driver just leaning closer and closer to Danny over there. And so I was thinking, oh man, please don't fall over and, uh, and hit Danny. But we, we, we survived. We survived. So Galatians chapter 2 uh, is where we're going to be. We're going to continue this series through the book of Galatians. I know many of you have picked up a scripture journal and, and you're seeking to, to read ahead as we, as we go through this. If you'd like a copy of the sermon notes. If you'd like to follow along with some extra notes, we have that on our Emmaus Baptist Church app. And so if you just download that on your smartphone, you can access some uh, sermon notes that way. Looking ahead to next week as we think about moving to our new schedule and we think about kids getting back together, next Sunday as you read ahead, we're going to be getting into Galatians chapter 3. So read the opening part of Galatians 3 and then Romans 5. I think you're really going to enjoy reading Romans 5 this week following what we talk about this morning. We've been trying to read Romans as we study slowly through Galatians, and there are some great connections in Romans 5 to what we're going to talk about this morning. At the end of the sermon this morning, we are going to take of the Lord's Supper together. Uh, it'll look a little different. I'll explain it as we, as we get to that time. But following the Lord's Supper, we're going to sing a final course together, and after that song, we'll be dismissed. But if you're here this morning, you're a guest, and you'd like to say hi, I'd love to meet you and be able to pray with your family. If you need to talk to someone about faith in Christ, or you have something going on in your life that you would like prayer for, I'll stay right down here at the front. So when we sing that final chorus together and people begin to leave, please don't leave. If you're a guest, or if there's somebody, something I could do to pray with you, um, I'd love to be able to do that. Let's read scripture together right now, and, and we're going to get started. Galatians chapter 2 Starting in verse 15, here's what it says. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if... In our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners. Is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. May God bless the reading of his word. So when you hear the phrase, pile driver, 
pile driver, what, what comes to your mind? Now, for many people of a certain time, pile driver, the phrase that comes to mind, it may connect you with this idea of professional wrestling. And I need to tell you up front, I know almost nothing about professional wrestling, but let me tell you, you know a lot about professional wrestling, at least if it shows anything based on what happened on social media this last week, because I put something out on Facebook asking for ideas about pile driver and professional wrestlers, and let me tell you, you guys responded <laughs> in, in kind of a terrifying way about how much you actually know about, about professional wrestling. Professional wrestling, the move of The Undertaker, which apparently is essentially illegal now in professional wrestling, as, as I would actually know. You're telling me this, but uh, the other thing about pile driver is that professional wrestling move, it comes from construction. It's a construction term. Uh, when we lived in New Orleans, one sound I will never forget of living in New Orleans was waking up in the morning and hearing this thump, thump, thump as these pile drivers are driving what to me just looked like a huge telephone pole into the ground because pile driving is used in construction all over the place, but especially areas of certain soil types or a high water table. You'll drive these pilings, these large poles, into the ground to provide a foundation so that the foundation of the building doesn't move around. In fact, in New Orleans, just north of the city of New Orleans, is what's called Lake Pontchartrain. And the second longest bridge in the world goes north to south across Lake Pontchartrain. And that bridge is famous because it was where, it was the first place that this particular type of pre-stressed hollow piling that's used to build bridges was used in Lake Pontchartrain. They put 10,000 of, 10, of these pilings into the lake bed to form this bridge that's about 26 miles across the lake. Now, why talk about pile drivers why stick this nice little T-post driver next to me? Here's what I want to tell you about these verses. Here's what, I, here's what I want you to know about these verses. These verses we're looking at this morning, they form the foundation of Paul's theological argument about the gospel to the Galatians. They are the heart, the core, the foundation of what we believe about Jesus and Jesus' work in our life and in the church. But here's the other neat thing. When scholars talk about this particular set of verses in Galatians, the other illustration that's used other than foundation is these verses form a bridge in the book of Galatians. Paul has done a lot of storytelling up to this point. He's told about things that happened to him. He's told about experiences he had in Antioch. And then he's about to go in chapter 3 into some very extensive arguments about what the Christian life should look like. And these verses at the end of chapter 2, they form both the foundation and the bridge of this letter. Here's what we want to do this morning. Here's the goal this morning. In these verses... I see four pilings. I see four theological truths that if we will drive these truths into our life, they will make all the difference. We live in a time and in a world that, let's just be honest, feels a little bit shaky at times, feels a little bit uncertain. There's a lot of things going on. For your life and for my life and for our church, if we would take these four truths and just drive them into the ground, if these would be the foundation and they would form the bridge of how we are going to live in this world. That's what we want to do. Four pilings, four truths that form the foundation. Verse 15. We're going to jump right into verse 15 here. 
Paul says here, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Now when Paul says we ourselves, he's talking about this conversation that he is having with Peter. The conversation we looked at last week, we're not going to go back and look at it right now, but the conversation that he was having with Peter last week about should Gentiles be forced to live as Jews in order to be part of the people of God. What does it mean to believe the gospel? Where is our hope found? And so Paul and Peter are having this conversation, and Paul says to Peter, hey, we, we're Jews. We, we understand that this is our background. This is our ethnic background. We have the law. We descend from Abraham, and we are not. He sets up a contrast that feels really sharp to us, but it would make perfect sense in the ancient world. We're not Gentile sinners, We're not those who have been separated from the law of God. We're not those who have been separated from the people of God. Now, here in a minute, he's going to turn that word sinners and do something different with it. But right now, he's just telling Peter, hey, I realize we're Jews. We're not Gentiles. But, verse 16, but we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Man, what a powerful phrase that is right there. The word justified is the word that has a background of kind of a courtroom setting, a a law setting. Justified has to do with being made right, being declared right. Now, we are in need of justification because we're sinners. We are guilty of sin. We are guilty, guilty of rebellion against God. In our sin, we are guilty and separated and under condemnation. How are we able to be made right? Here's something helpful about this word justification that that I want you to hold on to. In your Bible, if you ever see the word righteousness or, or, or the adjective righteous, justification, justified, and righteous are the same word in Greek. They come from the same exact root word. So to be justified is to be declared righteous, to be not a sinner, but to be able to stand fully before God. Now, how is that possible? How could that be possible that in our sin we would able to stand right before God? Well, Paul's very clear, it is not by works of the law. He's not going to force a Gentile to live as a Jew because obeying the law is not the way that we are made right with God. How are we made right with God? He says it is through faith in Jesus Christ. Friends, this is vacation Bible school, kids Sunday school. This is the foundation of every one of our lives. How in the world could we be made right with a holy and good God? It is through faith in Jesus Christ. And be careful with that word faith because you're like, oh yeah, yeah, I have faith. Don't worry, I have faith. This quote from Barclay is so helpful here. Faith is complete trust and complete surrender to Jesus. Total acceptance of all that he said, of all that he offered, of all that he is. At the end of verse 16, Paul essentially just repeats his point. Look at the end of verse 16 to see how he finishes out this thought. He says to Peter, We also, we Jews also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law because by works of the law no one will be justified. A a little caution here as you think about reading your Bible. Sometimes if we're not careful, we say that in the Old Testament 
people were justified by good works. So in the Old Testament, you did good works, and that got you good before God. In the New Testament, it's by grace. No, no, no. From beginning to end, it has always been by grace. Because God saved his people out of Egypt. So Egypt in the, in the Old Testament is the place of sin and death. God rescued his people out of Egypt. He did that when? Before he gave the law. Abraham was made right with God when he trusted in God before the giving of the law. It has always been God's plan to make his people right with him by pouring out his grace and his love. And how is that received? Through faith. Through faith. This is the great doctrine of the church called justification by faith in Christ. Now, you may not care particularly about the $100 theology word justification, but I hope you will drive this truth into your life that the only way you can be made right with God is by faith in Jesus Christ. Because what this does, this sets us free from a mentality that says, I wonder if I've done enough to be made right with God. This is your family member or your friend or your neighbor who is always trying to do another good thing or attend another religious service or achieve another level of spirituality because they're hoping at some point they will be good enough to get into heaven. That at some point they will be good enough to achieve a certain level that, okay, I'm probably good with God now. That is a futile path. It will make you feel a weight and an anxiety that you were never meant to carry. And there's another danger here where someone says, oh, no, 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 I'm good. Like God and I, we got our thing worked out. I'm good. I've got a faith background. I grew up in America. I was raised in church. I, I'm good. No. What is our hope? It's the grace of God poured out through Jesus, and we receive that by faith. And don't miss how important justification by faith is right now in the world. Because when you believe this, it creates within God's people peace and humility justification made right with God through faith you know what it does it makes us incredibly humble and incredibly peaceful because I don't have to spend my whole life trying to prove that I'm better than somebody else and I don't have to spend my whole life trying to earn approval with other people I am humble before God and others and I have peace with God which leads to having peace with others We've talked about this before, but you know that people who are always hostile and always in arguments and never have peace with other people, they're like that because they don't have peace within themselves and they don't have peace with God. But when we have peace with God through Jesus, it makes us peaceful toward one another. And it gives us confidence and hope about the future. We live in a world where people are terrified about what's going to happen next where people are uncertain about the rest of 2020, not to mention the rest, of their, the rest of their lives. Justification by faith in Jesus creates incredible confidence and hope for the future. Look at the next verse. That's piling number one. That was drive that deep within our church. We will not move from that. Number two, verse 17. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not, Paul says. Okay, that's kind of a confusing verse. What's Paul talking about here? Here's what he's saying. He says, Peter, when we trusted in Jesus, and when we realized that that hope was for the Gentiles as well, we started to eat with Gentiles. 
which, according to the Jewish people, was considered a sinful thing to do. So here's Paul's line of argument. Is trusting in Jesus for salvation a slippery slope that leads to living a sinful life? Let me say that again because that's, that's an important question. Is trusting in Jesus for salvation a slippery slope that ultimately is just going to lead to us living as sinners? Now why does that matter? Because there are people even today who say, I've been justified, I've been made right with God through faith in Jesus. I can't lose that. I'm just going to live however I want. It doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter if I connect with the church. It doesn't matter if I abandon my family. It doesn't matter if I live in sin. I believe in Jesus. It's, does believing in Jesus lead to a life of sin? Paul says, no way. Not, not at all. Look in verse 18. Verse 18, for if I rebuild, if I, here's Paul's concern, if I put back in place the law, if I rebuild and go back to what I tore down, then I show myself to be a transgressor or a sinner. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. Does believing in Jesus lead for Paul to a sinful life? No way. It leads to living for God. Paul's concern, though, is I can't go backward to the law. Because of what I've experienced, because of what I know to be true about Jesus, because of what he's done in my life, I'm not going backward to that law. I'm going forward in Christ to live the life that God has called me to live. Just a quick stop here to kind of catch something we talked about last week. And if you weren't last, with us last week, I'll give you a quick catch up. Some of the controversy that Peter and Paul are, are caught up in right now is caused by political tension that's going on in this area at the time. And this political tension, this political toxicity, is driven primarily by a rise in nationalism, maybe what we would call radical conservatism, where there's this push to get back to the past. Man, if we could just get back to the way we were back there when we were separated and everything was good back there, if we could just get back there, Paul's like, no, I'm not going back there. I'm not going under the law. Christ is leading me forward. As people living for the Lord today in a political climate that's often very much like, if I could just get back there, then life would be good. No, 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 Jesus is leading us forward. Because, here's the truth. Here's the theological truth I want you to pick up on this. This verse is about how Jesus is the perfect fulfillment of the law of God. That the law is fulfilled in Christ. This is the second piece of the foundation this morning. So we're justified by faith in Christ, and then we realize that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's law, that all of God's plans, that all of God's character, that all of God wants to do in and through his people has been pointing to Jesus. So why would we go backward? Now, does that mean we get rid of the Old Testament? No way. No way. What did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? He said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. We need the Old Testament. Let's not get rid of the Old Testament, but neither do we go back and live under the Old Testament. That it is all of God's work to show us his character, to show us his plans, to lead us to Christ, and then that we would live as the people of God because he wants to transform our lives. Look at verse 20 here. Verse 20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
if you are searching for a life verse, you could do a lot worse than Galatians 2.20. In fact, if I could just call you to do something this week even, to commit this verse to memory. Write down Galatians 2.20. You know, you may have this already stuck in your head and your heart because of childhood, Sunday school, or a time, a time in your past, but if you don't, this week, commit yourself to Galatians 2.20. Kids, those of you who are watching at home, watching me on the internet, Galatians 2.20, have your parents write it down for you. Memorize this as a family this week because what a beautiful verse this is. This idea that I have been crucified with Christ It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, many of you have read Bonhoeffer's writings, but he was caught up in issues surrounding the Nazis in World War II. Bonhoeffer says that when God calls a man, he bids him come and die. George Mueller was once asked about the secret to the Christian life. Here's what Mueller said. He said, there came a day when George Mueller died utterly died no longer did his own desires preferences and tastes come first he knew that from then on christ must be all and all what's the call of the christian life it's to die to die to ourselves to be boss of our own lives and to say my only hope is in jesus who died for me probably my favorite testimony my favorite example about this verse comes from a gentleman named ian thomas Ian Thomas was an English uh, military, uh, a military major in England at the time of World War II. He was actually involved in the evacuation from Dunkirk. And so if you know anything about the battle at Dunkirk and the issues there, Ian Thomas was involved in that. But I want you to see something that, that Thomas says. He says, I reached a point, and, and identify with this. Hear me out on this quote. I know it's hard to hear quotes as you're not seeing them, but hear me out on this quote, what he says here. He says, I reached a point in my life where I had been reduced to a state of complete exhaustion spiritually until I felt there was no point in going on. Have you ever felt exhausted spiritually? Have you ever felt just exhausted in life where you feel like, God, I don't know what to do next. I, I, I literally just feel out of energy to know what to do next. Here's what Thomas said. He said, one night I got down on my knees and I wept crying out to the Lord. Oh God, I know that I'm saved. I love Jesus Christ with all my heart. And with all my heart I want to serve you. I have tried everything and I'm a hopeless failure. But then watch what happens. He said, suddenly as I prayed that, Galatians 2.20 came to mind. And it seemed as if God was saying, for seven years... You have been trying to live for me on my behalf, the life that I want to live through you. Suppose that I am your life. I am your strength. I am your victory in every area of life. If we feel exhausted spiritually, is it possible that we've been trying to live the life that Christ actually wants to live through us? that we have been working in our own strength and our own power to do something that we were never meant to do on our own. Where's the hope of our life? Where's our strength? Where's our power? It's Christ living within us. And this is that beautiful doctrine that is called union with Christ. This is the third piling (laughs) to drive into the foundation. I'm justified by faith. Christ has fulfilled the law 
and I am able to be united with him. People spend thousands of dollars searching after their identity in life. I'm trying to find myself, I go on trips, I take courses, I watch thousands of videos online. I'm searching for myself, I'm trying to find my identity. And Jesus says, let me be that for you. Trust me, die to yourself, stop being the boss of your life and let me live through you. And when that happens, he transforms our life from the inside out. Faith in Christ, friends, doesn't lead to sin, Faith in Christ leads to a transformed life where it is the power of Jesus changing me from the inside out. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Justified by faith, Jesus fulfilled the law, I'm united with him, verse 21. Verse 21, Paul says, I do not nullify, and nullify is a weird word that we don't use often, but man, it's important there. Nullify would be like make void, set aside, do away with. I I don't nullify, get rid of the grace of God for if it was actually possible for righteousness to come through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Paul is saying, if all along we were good because of the law, if we were able to be made right and whole because of the law, why did Jesus die? What, What was the purpose of that? But in reality, here's what we know to be true. Christ's death was both necessary and sufficient. This is the doctrine that we call the sufficiency of Christ. And we have to be so careful that our Christianity is not Jesus plus something else. And this is especially hard if you grew up in a very legalistic or fundamentalist background, that it's, it's great you have faith in Christ and make sure you do X, Y, and Z so you're really okay with God. No, no. Christ died, as Jaron prayed earlier, to take away every bit of sin. That my hope is completely in him, and not only that, but that he is completely sufficient. It's not that I believe in Jesus, and then I better get my life together. It's I believe in Jesus, and I am set free to live fully for him. My life has changed. He is my hope. He's my foundation. He's my life. So, In this world that we live in, there's a lot of uncertainty, but we hold on to justification by faith in Christ. That's our our hope. In this world that we live in, there's a lot of tension between do we go back to the past or do we move ahead to the future? Isn't that the political tension we live in? Do we go back to the past? Do we live in the future? In Jesus, he alone is able to solve that tension because he has fulfilled the law and he will carry us forward. In this world, people spend their life trying to find their identity, trying to find who they are, trying to find what they will live for. Jesus says, die to that, and I will give you life. And this world only makes sense, is only possible because of the sufficiency of the cross of Jesus Christ. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is when Jesus, in John chapter 6, is talking to the people about how he is going to be the bread of life. (laughs) And he uses language like, you're going to have to come and you're going to have to eat me. And people are like, whoa, didn't sign up for that. And they start to leave in huge numbers. Jesus was terrible at church growth. People would start to follow him, and then he would say something controversial, and a whole bunch of people would leave. And he turns to the disciples, and he says, 
are you guys going to leave as well? And Peter looks to Jesus and says, where would we go? You alone have the words of life. You alone are sufficient to take care of sin. You alone are able to lead us into the future. And friends, right now, we have the chance to celebrate that through one of the most powerful ways possible as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And so in this time that we celebrate the Lord's Supper in the next few minutes, I want you to remember that we are made right with God through faith in Christ. That Jesus has brought the new covenant in his blood. He fulfilled the law. He leads us into the future. I want you to remember that we are united with Christ. He is the one who lives through us. Every decision that we make, every word we speak, every social media post we put out, it is Christ who is living through us. And you don't have to look for anything else because he is perfectly sufficient. Let me pray for us. And after I pray for us, I'm going to give you a couple of instructions about the Lord's Supper, and we're going to have a chance to take of that together. Let's pray right now, and then I'm going to lead us into this time. Father, thank you for the foundation that this passage is. God, I think about that, that sound of living in New Orleans and hearing those pilings thump into the ground and God, how much in our world people want a foundation for their life. Circumstances come along. We watch the news. Everything seems shaky and unstable. And yet your word is so good and so reliable. And Christ is perfectly sufficient to take care of sin and death and all that we would ever need. So God, teach us to trust. Teach us to be people of faith. God, even now, as we take of the Lord's Supper together, Use this opportunity to remind us of where our hope is truly found. And Father, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.